This is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Parents who are hoping to get their uh, babies and toddlers and little kids vaccinated soon will have to wait even longer. U.S. regulators pushing back a public meeting to review Pfizer's COVID vaccine for kids under five. FDA says it's delaying the meeting to allow time for Pfizer to provide more data on a three-dose regimen. You've probably heard the terms thrown around recently, pandemic and endemic. We'll take a closer look at what could be that transitional phase. We start with further delays in COVID vaccines available for children ages five and younger. Dr. Julie Swan is head of the Department of Industrial and Systems Engineering at North Carolina State University and has worked with the likes of the CDC and the Red Cross in medication and vaccination distribution efforts. So, uh, doctor, the holdup on the FDA meeting is over a request to review more of Pfizer's vaccine data? You're exactly right. Uh, they were scheduled to hear that request, but it has now been canceled. We don't have full information on why that meeting and request is canceled, but there are some thoughts that either Pfizer was delayed in getting the data to the FDA or that the data had some initial things that they needed to look at more closely. Were we kind of in an unusual place with this one to begin with? Because didn't they say that, you know, the two doses don't really work? They're not giving us the effect that we wanted. So we're going to try and study three. But let's ask the FDA to at least get the kids on two. So then they're on the right track if we need this third. And if that works, that's not the regular way of doing things. You're right. And and not only that, but the FDA asked Pfizer to put in the request. It's not that Pfizer was trying to push it. And I think one of the, the things is that what is the performance measure that they were looking at after those two doses? They were looking to see if those antibodies in the children were similar to what had been induced in older populations. But that's not the only measure that you could look at. It's not that there are any safety concerns or anything like that, but rather they were trying to minimize the dose. And so it does look like another booster is needed. I'm wondering what the acceptance is going to be if it turns out to be three doses for five and under uh, among parents. Because as you know, the polling thus far is sort of showing that a lot of parents are very ambivalent about having their young kids vaccinated. Some are waiting, you know, can't wait, but others are you know, taking a kind of let's wait and see approach. And I'm wondering, once you say to them, your kid's going to have to get not uh, one or two, but three shots, uh, if that's going to drive down acceptance. Well, when you say it like that, it, it certainly does give that impact. But of course, children get series of vaccine doses all the time. You know, we have multiple shots that they get for measles or uh, uh, polio, and, and it's just part of their annual wellness checkups where they get different vaccines at different ages. Eventually, we'll have something like that. Now, simultaneously, Moderna has also been testing uh, higher doses, uh, and so that could also lead to a smaller number of shots. Um, but it, and it may also depend on the family. We know that there is an entire spectrum of where people are on this, with some really eager to get the, the vaccine immediately for their children and others who want to wait and see. Dr. Julie Swan, North Carolina State University. Just this week, California's Governor Gavin Newsom talked about a transition from 
thinking and acting on COVID as a pandemic and moving toward an endemic phase. So what exactly does that mean? Public health officials and infectious disease physicians pretty confident at this point COVID is never going away, uh, but it shouldn't be as dangerous and infection rates should stabilize. Maybe kind of like the seasonal flu, that's when COVID becomes endemic. Our partners at KYW News Radio out of Philadelphia did a deep dive into all of this. Host Matt Leon talked over pandemic versus endemic with Dr. Seth Wells, an epidemiologist at Drexel University's School of Public Health. We have all become very familiar with the term pandemic, but we have started to hear eventually endemic. Define endemic for me as opposed to a pandemic. Endemic is a background rate. It's kind of an, an expected ongoing background rate. And it makes the assumption that the particular virus or pathogen is not going to fully disappear. That there's going to be a rate of, of infections that will continue over time. That's different than a pandemic, where there are sort of outbreaks in large regions all over the globe. So when we talk about endemic, we will talk about endemic rates, say, within the United States, or you can talk about perhaps within certain states. So are we tracking to get to a point where COVID-19 is endemic? And if so, are we close to that point? Well, we're not close to the point. If you look at the new cases every day, it's extraordinarily high still. We are on our way down, that is for sure. To get to an endemic rate, hopefully, we would have a very low number of daily cases, uh, you know, perhaps less than 10,000 cases. That seems like a lot, but nationally, you know, that is not such a terrible thing, uh, especially if, in fact, cases are not producing really severe disease or deaths. So when it came to the pandemic, I think it was the World Health Organization that declares we are in a pandemic. You know, there is a declaration is there something similar to where a, a body says we have officially entered, we consider COVID-19 now to be endemic, or is it going to depend on where you are, depend on who you listen to? I think it's the latter. I mean, I don't think someone is going to like label it. Now we're in our endemic phase. Uh, what will happen is people will make the observation that there's a low steady rate of infection. And of course, there will be peaks there will be outbreaks that'll occur. And you know, all bets are off if, if a new variant sweeps through our country, okay? And so this is, this is really based on the fact that we are developing wide um, immunity to Omicron right now, okay? And so the cases are really dropping significantly. The reason we're doing it is more people are getting vaccinated and there is a lot of protection from vaccines, roughly, half the cases, you know, half the rate uh, among those who are vaccinated, but also people are getting infected. And as a result, they have some immunity from infection, from, you know, natural immunity. And so overall, the number of susceptible people are dropping. And that's why our case rates are dropping. But again, if, if a new variant sweeps through that evades immunity, then we're gonna have uh, another wave of cases. So let's assume for a moment a scenario which is more positive, which we hit an endemic stage or a point where COVID-19, we haven't gotten rid of it, but it is endemic. Mm -hmm. Is life for the most part back to normal or are we still kind of, you know, we still recommend you wear a mask and stuff like that? 
well, it's going to be a new normal. We're, we're never going to be going back, I, I don't think, to sort of the stage we were in where you just didn't need to have to think about it, you know, and you could just sort of go out anywhere. Um, what's going to have to happen is people are going to have to think about if they have a cold, staying at home, not working. If their kids have a cold, keeping their kids at home. And not only for the kids with the symptoms or for the adult, but also not to spread it. And so I think our, our culture should move to that, 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 that sort of zone. Um, so it's not gonna be the same old normal, number one. Number two, if there tend to be some regional increases like waves or outbreaks, people are gonna have to really rethink about you know, walking about, going in enclosed areas, not going in, in enclosed areas actually, and wearing masks. I think we're going to be living with masks, you know, as a tool. People should think of it as a tool to really prevent the spread of infection. So uh, I, I think the normal will be a new normal, to be quite frank with you. So it will be different from flu season. We, can, we can't approach it like a flu season where, all right, flu's bad this year, or flu's not that bad, but it, it's there, and you kind of make your choices based on you know, what you know about who's got the flu and how many people are sick. People are going to make their choices no matter what. And so people are extremely, extremely fatigued from COVID right now. And they're going to make their choices. But if in fact they really wish to limit infection, the spread of infection, if it should get hot again, there's, you know, there are outbreaks or regional, you know, rises, spikes, then they should think about the use of masks in enclosed areas, limiting their exposure to lots of people in enclosed areas, things like that. Um, but people are going to do what they're going to do, you know. So, and I, I get it. I mean, you know, I'm an epidemiologist, infectious disease epidemiologist, and I'm tired of it too. But then again, I see the importance of it and why we have to do it. What are the things, and you've talked about the tools and you talked about being indoors in enclosed areas. Are there other things we should stress to people for how to approach life with COVID-19 as something that's endemic? Well, not to be afraid, not to be afraid, but to be mindful, to really be mindful of where they're going, what are going to be their activities with their family, their immediate family that lives in their residence. Or if you know they don't have a family where where they're going, and uh, basically go from there. You know, ask yourself: Am I going to an area of the country where there's currently some sort of rise in the number of cases? You know, what does that mean for me? Should I not go into bars? You know, number one, should I remain as much as I can outdoors? Things like that. You know. Um, because really, in the end, there's a lot of risk mitigation behaviors that work. We know it works. Not only masks, but really physically distancing yourself from other people and not being in a very kind of person-dense situation. And so we can use that if, in fact, you're traveling and if, in fact, you're going to an area that, that, is, that has more cases. It's interesting because you talked about how you get it you're tired of it. We're all tired of it. How much does the length of this pandemic and the way it's been politicized and used as a, a political weapon, a cultural weapon, 
how much does that hurt the idea of asking people or telling people to to approach this in a sensible, smart way from the endemic standpoint when when there's not a bunch of cases and it's not, you know, code red at hospitals and stuff like that. Uh, that's a pretty, we're, we're talking a, a tough hill to climb, aren't we? Yes. Yes. It doesn't help. It doesn't help that there are 500 plus internet sites that are giving, you know, disinformation, misinformation about infection, about the need for vaccination, things like that, the use of masks, um, you know, it doesn't help at all. And so I can guarantee you that if we want to get a, a good public health message out there of how to limit the spread, there's going to be all these people who are going to say, you know, everyone around me is healthy, nothing is spreading, why do we have to do this, you know? Um, when in fact, there may be some indication that cases are on the way up and we, we really want to limit the spread. There are definitely, I mean, these are definitely risk mitigation steps that really have a sound basis in public health practice and, you know, infection prevention. And so um, it is really a shame that it has been politicized. We end today's Coronavirus Daily with a story about international espionage colliding with a global pandemic. French President Emmanuel Macron was in Moscow earlier this week for talks with Russian President Vladimir Putin as diplomatic efforts continue to avert a Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the two presidents were pictured talking at an almost cartoonishly long table seated very far apart. There was a lot of speculation about Putin maybe wanting Macron to look silly or icy relations between the two leaders, but the story behind is even more interesting. Macron and Putin sat far apart at the long table because the French president refused to take a COVID test upon arriving in Moscow. And why didn't he want the test? Turns out French intelligence officials strongly advised against it out of fear that Russia would hold on to Macron's genetic material and possibly use it for some kind of nefarious purpose. We could not accept that they could get their hands on the president's DNA, a French official told Reuters. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.